It may be that in your life, your first experience of learning how to pray was memorizing a prayer that went along with a set of beads, like the Catholic rosary. Or maybe your first experience of learning how to pray was singing a song for a ritual, like lighting the Hanukkah menorah with your family. Or maybe you learned to pray by welcoming the stranger to your house of worship. Or maybe you were like me, and nobody ever taught you how to pray. Or at least, they certainly didn't talk about it. You know, certainly we said grace before dinner as a family, and at my Unitarian Universalist church growing up, my minister did something called a pastoral prayer that was sort of like this black box of words in the middle of the service that I didn't quite understand as a child. But we never talked about prayer, except to talk about how other people prayed. As a Unitarian Universalist youth, man, I could have told you for days about different religious traditions' prayer practices. I could have told you about how Muslims pray five times a day facing Mecca. I could have told you about Japanese Shinto devotional practices and the ancestral gods that they worship. I could have told you about Buddhist meditation and enlightenment. But if you had asked me, how do Unitarian Universalists pray? I would have really struggled to find an answer. Even as an adult, I remember once I was out to dinner with friends from seminary, and one of them, who I hadn't known for very long, turned to me and said, Hannah, how do you praise God in your church? And I didn't know how to respond. But we do. Unitarian Universalists do have a call to pray and to practice our spiritual selves. In fact, we have six sources agreed upon by our association, and if later, for your edification, you want to find all of them, they're in one of the first few pages of your hymnal listed under the seven principles. And the first source of Unitarian Universalism that you'll see listed there reads like this. We draw from the direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life. And for me, when I think about prayer and spiritual practice, I tend towards the first sort of half of that source, right? The direct experience of mystery and wonder, prayer or spiritual practice, meditation, walking the labyrinth. It's about experiencing mystery and wonder in a direct way. But what about the second half? Right? What is it that that direct experience is supposed to be doing for us? Right? Not so much the what of spiritual practice and prayer, but the why the reality of opening us to the forces that create and uphold life, which are certainly no joke. They're powerful. In fact, in writing a piece of music called the Sources Cantata, 
which was written by UU ministers uh, Kendall Gibbons and Jason Shelton, when it came time to write the poetic lyrics about the first source, they wrote about the Big Bang. They wrote about the origin of the forces that created and uphold life. And so maybe when we talk about spiritual prayer and prayer and spiritual practice, we get caught up trying to talk about what we do and neglect the why. I've always liked what a colleague of mine from seminary said about ministering to the community he grew up in in Baltimore City. And he reminded us that prayer is not just a foundation. It's the mortar between every brick. It's the mortar in between every brick of your life. Because for him, prayer was his connection to the forces that upheld his life, that gave him a renewal of the spirit. After all, mortar is what gives bricks their strength. In the face of life's howling winds of change, it makes the difference between a pile of bricks and a strong home. And so this morning, I want to invite us in a story and in some questions to think about our Unitarian Universalist mortar. What is it that's gluing all of the pieces of us together? Whether you believe in God or gods or any other manifestation of the divine, how do we connect to that force that creates and upholds us And particularly, as Unitarian Universalists, it's important for us to think about what is the mortar that connects all of the bricks of the different pieces of who we are. Before I entered seminary, I was a middle school ESOL teacher, or English to speakers of other languages, at a couple of different middle schools in Baltimore City. And most of my students were recently arrived refugees from Nepal and the Horn of Africa and other places around the world. It was, to say the least, hard work. It was the kind of work that I would call soul-wrenchingly difficult. The kind of work that made me, when I would pull into the parking lot, I would turn off my car and all I could do was exhale. Wondering if I could summon the fortitude to get through today, or maybe just the next hour, or maybe just the next minute. Have you ever had a moment like that? We're given the opportunity to breathe for a second. All you can do is sigh. And maybe rest your forehead on the steering wheel, if it's been a particularly difficult week. And try to summon some fortitude to face the next day or the next hour. Maybe it's at the end of your commute or before you pick up your kids from school or before you get in your parents' car at the end of the school day. Or maybe it's when you arrive at your aging parents' nursing home where all you can do is exhale. And when I say that that work was hard, Folks often fill in their own reasons for why it must have been hard. 
things like students who are living in poverty, a broken school system, a lack of resources, a language barrier, constantly working across culture, my own unpreparedness. And it's true, each of those things made my job harder. But what made being a teacher truly soul-wrenchingly difficult was that I knew that I was failing at it. I knew. I knew that I was not doing a good enough job. And I knew that the stakes for my students were incredibly high. It's a kind of large-scale failure that until you've experienced it, it's hard to think about. It reminds me of, there was a, a letter to an advice column in the Washington Post on Thanksgiving, and it was about parenting what the mother in the letter diplomatically described as her strong-willed child. And, and I feel like if I had to summarize that letter in a few words, it would just be like, dear so-and-so, please help me not screw up my child. It's that kind of high-stakes, high-failure situation. And every morning when I woke up in my apartment in Baltimore alone and wondering if today would be the day that I quit, I would feel the bricks of my spirit start to shimmy and shake a little bit against the force of life's howling winds. I started to wonder exactly how strong my spirit was. I began to worry that I had actually built myself a house of straw. And so uh, for a few months, every morning when I woke up, instead of watching the news, I had to pray. I had to pray, and so every morning I woke up and I opened my hymnal, and much to the chagrin of my neighbors, I sang. I sang some hymns that I had sung as a child, little snatches of them here and there that I could remember. Sometimes I warbled through unfamiliar melodies. And sometimes I sang the same hymn every day for the week because I just needed something to stick me together, to help me hold together against life's change. In particular, a hymn we'll sing a little bit later really was part of the mortar that held me, right? My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the real, the far-off hymn that hails a new creation. In the face of my own monumental inadequacy, those words held my spirit together like the mortar of a brick house against the wind. Now, like most real and true stories of facing failure, the actual turnaround in my life, right, the actual improvement that I experienced, the actual overcoming of failure, is actually a very long and boring story. Right? Like overcoming failure of all kinds, it required honest self-assessment, gradual improvement, and reflection not the stuff of scintillating conversations all the time, but it's how we do it. But a strong mortar kept me together long enough to actually overcome failure, right? It's what keeps you together long enough to actually make the change in your life. And so maybe, like me, nobody ever taught you how to pray 
But on the days when life is threatening to blow your house down, you have discovered your own mortar, your own previously untapped spiritual fortitude. And at this moment in our country and our world, we need mortar more than ever. The fortitude, the strength that our lives require is no joke, y'all. It's a hard time to be alive. Both individually and as a community, keeping all of our separate pieces together as one whole seems like an increasingly difficult task sometimes. And it's worth noting that my mortar did not get mixed in this moment of great crisis. Sure, that's when I realized it was there, thank goodness, but that's not when it got put there, right? That strong self didn't get built in the moment of crisis. The strong self, a grounded, spiritual, Unitarian Universalist self, is built in community, like Reverend Carl said during this morning's meditation. But short of encountering a major life crisis, you might be wondering, how do I know whether or not I have a strong sense of who I am? How do I know if my prayers are empty air? How do I know if my spiritual practice is really the right thing for me? So I invite us into three questions that I think are helpful as we sort of perform an assessment of ourselves, of our spiritual practices, of our Unitarian Universalist mortar. The first is, does this connect me to something beyond myself? Does this get me out of just me? Maybe it's a deeper sense of consciousness in meditation or a broader community in social justice work. Maybe it's your sense of the holy. I think about the physical embodiment of this as sometimes if you ever see people holding hands to pray. Right? Does this get me into something beyond myself? And the second question is, can I carry this into the rest of my life? Right? Does this spiritual practice serve me not just in a quiet room where I'm by myself, but does it serve me in all the places and ways that life is really hard? My yoga teacher always describes this as taking the yoga off the mat. Right? And I like to think about this in terms of different places for me. Right? What does my spiritual practice tell me about who I am in line at the grocery store, where the first principle gets really hard? What does my spiritual practice tell me about who I am when I'm with a loved one in the emergency room? What does my spiritual practice tell me about who I am as I work in a prison ministry? What does my spiritual practice tell me about who I am at Standing Rock? What does my spiritual practice tell me about who I am in all of those places and ways that life is hard? And the final question that I invite us to consider this morning as we check in on our mortar is, does this stretch me? Now, more than ever, 
I think sometimes it's appropriate to ask ourselves the question, do you agree with everything that you hear? Whether it's from your own still small voice, from the people in your covenant group, or from the voice of the holy that you encounter in prayer, if you agree with everything that you hear, I am sorry to say you might not be growing, right? Growth happens in those moment of fr- moments of friction, those moments when we encounter people in community or we encounter the holy in community that shows us something new, something different. We want to be with people who share our values, but we don't just need another place for like-minded people to agree with one another, as tempting as that is sometimes. And so as we consider our Unitarian Universalist mortar, and you've asked these questions and you've assessed yourself and you're feeling good about your spiritual practice, you might ask, to what end? It's a good time to revisit our three little UU pigs. Because you'll notice that the end of the story was not the third little pig's house withstanding all of the huffing and puffing. The end of the story was after all of that huffing and puffing, the third little pig opened the door and invited the wolf in for tea. Right? It's not just that we can withstand great change, it's that we can have a good relationship with it. Which is not to say that it's always enjoyable, but to say that it's part of living. And if we have a strong sense of who we are, all of the world's huffing and puffing does not seem quite so scary. So my prayer for us this morning is that we are able to create spiritual practices and prayer that keeps us open to the forces that create and uphold life, even when they are scary and terrifying and wonderful and beautiful, that we remain open to them and open to life in all of its beauty and splendor and pain. May it be so. Amen.